0: Let's pray. Let's get after this. Um, God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Uh, God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship in song, and God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship with our minds and our hearts right now as we open up your word and as we yield to you. Um, God, may we be a people who hear from you and, and rush to obey. May we be a people who hear from you and trust in you and hope in you and believe that what you have for us is better than anything that we could manufacture for ourselves. Um, God, may we be a people who trust you enough to recklessly love one another and recklessly love those who are outside of our doors as well. Amen. All right, this morning we're continuing our series in Philippians called Enjoy Again. uh, That's all about reminding each other and celebrating the joy that we have in Jesus. Uh, And the heart of the passage that we're looking at today revolves around a single verse that David just read for us, kind of right in the middle of that longer passage, a single verse that talks about the exceptionally selfless lifestyle of this young leader named Timothy. Here's what he says. Paul writes, I have no one else like him. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine, interest in your welfare. I have no one else like him. Even though just a few verses earlier, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the verse I just read is verse 20, just a few verses earlier in the chapter, Paul called all of us away from selfishness. Here's what he said. He was calling us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. He said each of you, each of us, should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, God is calling all of us to take a genuine, deep, meaningful interest in the needs and wants and desires and lives of everyone else in the room and in those in our community who are outside of this room. But he says that's, it's kind of rare that people actually answer the call. Timothy is unique. Timothy is unusual because he heard God's call in his life and he said, yeah, I'm going to go do that. And his life was just characterized in a thousand different ways over and over by the selfless, genuine interest that he took in the lives of the people around him. Timothy was exceptional, Because his life matched God's call. And my prayer for all of us is that we would be exceptional as well. Amen? That we would hear the call of God. And that we would answer in faith. And we'd recognize, hey, that's going to be hard and that's going to be costly. And, and, And at times it might not even feel good. But I want us to be a people who have such a robust trust in our God and such a robust hope in our God. That we say, if this is what you've called us to, this is a call we want to answer. Let's go out and love the people who God has given us to love. Amen? And again, as we come at this, this is, we do all of this not because we have to, not because we ought to, not because we're trying to earn God's favor by doing better and trying harder and, you know, getting out of purgatory or something. We do this because we trust God. We believe that his ways are better than our ways, so even, even when we look at a given situation and we're like, ah, it, it, it looks like I should just look out for me in this situation. We believe that, that his ways are better than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and, and that we have a daddy who has promised to take care of us, so we can go out there and be a little bit reckless with the resources that he's put in our hands, You know, whether that be our mental resources or our emotional resources or our time resources or our money resources, whatever it is, that we can invest all of that in taking a genuine interest in the community around us, amen? That's that's what we're being called to in this passage. So this morning, we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 24, and we're going to find a frame, a lens, and a focus, and and here's what the focus is going to be. Here's the big idea. Let's be those rare people who actually live the lives that God's calls us to live. Amen? All right, first the frame. The, the heart of this passage, it's, it's talking about Timothy's selfless example. But the context, kind of the whole reason that Timothy even comes up in conversation, is because Paul is looking to send Timothy on a mission trip to Philippi. So this is, this is a church that, that they helped plant together, that they helped establish together. They got it off the ground, and they led this church in its early days, and then they moved on to the next community, and now it's been many years later, and, and Paul's sitting in a Roman prison, and Timothy's come to visit him, and you know they're doing their thing. They're corresponding with all these different churches that they've started everywhere, and, and Paul's hopeful that the day is coming really soon when he's going to get out, and he can go and visit these people that he loves in Philippi, but that day isn't today. And, and, and today isn't even the day that he can afford to send Timothy because he needs Timothy to do some other stuff. So he's sending a letter ahead, but he's saying, hey, after you get this letter, just, just be counting down the days because the time is coming when Timothy is going to be following this letter. So that's, that's the context. That's the frame. That's the setting. Uh, we'll look at verse 19 at the beginning and then the last couple of verses, 23 and 24. Here's what he says. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus, Is Paul talking, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Then skipping forward to verse 23, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in, my, in the Lord that I myself will come soon. That's the frame, that's the context. Timothy is this chosen young leader who's going to go continue the work in Philippi. He's going to continue teaching, he's going to continue discipling, he is going to encourage them in their faith, he's going to lead in Paul's place until Paul can get there himself. That's the frame, and the focus of this passage is going to be on the kind of man that Timothy is, the kind of example that he sets, this example that all of us are called to follow. But before we get to the focus of this passage, I want to talk about a lens. And we're going to step out of this passage for a second because I want us to see the gospel lens through which God has called us to look at passages like this one. Throughout the Bible, we see good examples and bad examples. And when we see the bad examples, we're like, what a jerk. I got nothing in common with that guy. He is an idiot. I'd never do that. And then when we see the good examples, we're like, well, that's just ridiculous. Like, who does that? I can't. The bar is too high. So so whatever examples we get, we we tend to push them off to the side. Either I'm somehow better than this, or, or this is so lofty that it's ridiculous, and either way, I just keep on trucking with my day, and it's interesting that I got some Bible trivia this morning. Okay, That's not how God calls us to look at his word. I want us to see the impossibly high standard that God calls us to. I want us to face it. And, and I want us to also confront the brutal reality that, while this is God's high standard, this tends to be our low living. You know, that there tends to be a profound gap between the call of God in our lives and the way we actually live. I want us to look that square in the eye and not get discouraged. Why? Because we have a God who has come to bridge that gap. To stand in the gap of our sin and to pay the penalty for our sin in order that we might be forgiven, in order that we might be reconciled, but also to provide his Holy Spirit to work in us in order that that gap might be closed. And the gap doesn't actually get closed by coming together like this. No, the high standard stays where it is. And as we partner with God and as we trust God and as it's, it's kind of a back and forth thing, he gradually makes us more like himself. He conforms us to his image in the words of Romans 8 in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who rely not on our own strength, but on the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work within us. So I want to take just a quick excursion. I want to jump over to Romans 7 and Romans 8, get a snippet of the end of Romans 7, a snippet of the beginning of Romans 8, and what I just outlined is what I want us to see. I want us to see that, yes, there's a gap in your life. Okay, so when you hear the high call of God and you look at your life, you're like, these do not match. And I don't want that to crush you. I don't want that to destroy you. I don't want that to demoralize you. I want that to encourage you and inspire you because if you've placed your faith in Christ or if you're willing to do so today, then there is a God who is going to work to conform you to his image. That's where we're going with this thing. Um, starting off in uh, Romans chapter 7, I'm just going to, there's some ellipses in here. I'm going to kind of hit the highlights of the second half of Romans chapter 7. But this is Paul talking about the gap in his own life. And he's laying this out, I think, with a tone of exasperation. You know, the same kind of things that, that that we feel when we're aspiring to truly follow Christ, but we look at our lives and we're like missing the mark again and again, and it's frustrating. This is Paul starting in Romans Chapter 7, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, this is the stuff that I keep on doing. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no. The evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Simple idea I want you to get out of those verses. Unless your name is Jesus... And if there's a Jesus in the room, I'm not talking to you. Unless your name is Jesus, there is always going to be a gap between the high call of God and the life you're actually living. There's a gap for Paul, there's a gap for me, there's a gap for you. And that can be demoralizing, that can be exasperating. Paul, the tone of this thing, it's like he's pulling his hair out. What is wrong with me? But he gets to the end and he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he turns the corner into what he's going to develop in Romans chapter 8. And this, this reality that we have an opportunity to walk in grace. In the power of the Holy Spirit as we cooperate with God in, in closing this gap. So even as he calls out our sin, even as he calls out the sin in his own life, this is not a guilt and shame and condemnation kind of moment. This is a, this is a reality check kind of moment. It's, it's like in the book of James where, where he, talks about, he talks about using God's word as a mirror. Where you look in the mirror and you see just how messy your hair is. You know, some of you guys who have hair, it's amazing. I, I envy your messy hair. You know, but, but you look in the mirror and you see the mess and then you do something with the mess. That's the kind of opportunity he's providing right now. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of of life, meaning um, this way of doing life by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, has set us free from the law of sin and death for what the law, and the way he uses it in verse 3, meaning kind of just the simple command to do what you're supposed to do, to do the right thing. He says, what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. What we could not accomplish by doing better and trying harder in our own human effort, what we could not do, God did. God accomplished. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Now there's all kinds of theology in here that we could unpack, and like this is worthy of this passage is worthy of like seven sermons of its own. Um, but but just giving the brief overview, up to this point in the verse, everything that, that he's been talking about that Jesus accomplished for us, like theologians would group it under under the atonement and under justification. Atonement means paying the penalty for something. What Christ did on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. And justification, it's a judicial term. The judge looks at the person and they, either, they drop the gavel and they either say, guilty or not guilty. And what we see in the gospel is that through the death of Jesus, our sins were paid for. And, and God takes the righteousness of Jesus... And credits, us, credits it to the wicked people like us who trust in Jesus. And he takes our wickedness and, and he places it on Jesus' back where it's paid for on the cross. And in that moment, the judge drops the gavel and he says, not guilty. That is justification. So up to this point in the verse, we've seen atonement, we've seen justification. Jesus pays for our sin and God declares us not guilty. But, but, but then there's, there's a turning of a corner. And what we have in the next section of this verse, it's not atonement, it's not justification, but it's sanctification. Paul is beginning to explain to us how the power of the gospel begins to actually change us from the inside out, causing us to become people who, who look more like Jesus, who live more like Jesus, who are more like Jesus from the inside out, okay? Okay? What we could not do in our own strength, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. So Jesus' sacrifice, it pays the penalty for our sin, but it also condemns sin. Jesus' sacrifice, it pays the penalty for our radical selfishness that you and I engage in kind of continuously. The sacrifice of Jesus, it pays the penalty for our radical selfishness, but it also condemns our selfishness. Why? Jesus condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Jesus calls out our selfishness, Jesus calls out our sin, in order that we might become a people who truly live for his glory, who live lives that reflect the calling that he has placed on our lives, amen? That's the point of it, not just that we would get into heaven, not just that we would be forgiven, not just that we would be reconciled to God, but that we would become like God, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, through us, in our lives. One of the goals of our, of our salvation is our sanctification, our transformation, our becoming a people who truly reflect his glory as humanity was always made to do. Go all the way back to Genesis and it says that Adam and Eve, they were created in the image of God. They were created in the image of God so that as they multiplied, they could fill the earth with the glory of God. And now that, that calling comes to us who've been reconciled to God through faith, that we would partner with him in this transformation process so that we could reflect his glory in this world, so that we could live in a way that would show his character, that would show his love, that would reflect him. So when Jesus calls us out of our sin, when Jesus calls us to what feels like an impossible standard of holiness... We need to remember, to paraphrase Augustine, what what God commands, God provides. For Augustine, it it was a prayer. He's like, God, command whatever you want, but accomplish what you command in me. Because I know that I'm weak. I know that I can't do it. But I know that you can. I believe that you can. So command whatever you want to command. And then empower that command in my life because I'm willing to walk with you. I'm willing to lean in. I want to answer your call, but oh, do I know how desperately I'm going to need your help every step of the way. That is the Christian life. Not I've been forgiven and now I'm better than some other people, so I'm going to go out there and show it because I'm strong. No, it's I'm weak, but I have such a powerful God. So I don't care how high the bar is. I don't care what he calls me to. I believe that he can work that righteousness in me and I'm going to go out there and trust him to do it. And when it's hard, I'm just going to lean in and I'm going to move forward anyway. And when I fail, I'm not going to be terrifically surprised because we all fail. But that's why we have a Savior. And he not only saves us, but he empowers us. Amen? That's the gospel lens through which I want us to see this passage. So with that gospel lens in mind, let's focus on the heart of the passage. Philippians chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. I'm going to read it together and then we'll go through it bit by bit. Paul says, I have no one else like him. I got nobody like Timothy. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. We've already made much of Timothy's uniqueness. Paul says, I had no one else like him. But again, the hope is not that Timothy would remain unique. The hope is that all of us would answer the call to follow his example. Amen? What does it look like to take a genuine interest in the welfare of others? What does it look like to take a genuine interest in the, in the people in this room? Or the other people who call Mosaic home that are that are, you know, a part of the evening service or are tuning in online or just couldn't make it out this week? What does it look like to take a genuine interest in the broader community around us? And to be a people who reflect the glory of God because we love like Jesus loves? What's it look like, again, to take a genuine interest in the people in this room? Uh, If you've been around for a while, you recognize some faces. Um, maybe if you were here before COVID, you, you have like a vague recollection of some names. You know, but, it, but it's like, okay, we're, we're going to moose from some familiar faces. We're going to get to know some names. We're going to maybe come early enough. I know that's crazy. Uh, or stay late enough that we not just get the name, but maybe we get a little bit of the story. Little, little tip when you're trying to learn people's name, ask for a little bit of the story because your, your brain needs a little bit bigger hook than, than just Sue. Like Sue is not a big enough hook to hang that on. But if you figure out, oh, Sue, Sue grew up in rural Michigan. Oh, Sue and Shannon, they grew up in the same place. Oh, that's, that's why they're both a little bit weird. Yeah, they, they were, they were, they're, 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 they're redneck, you know. They're, they're, now you remember Sue's name, right? Okay, you got it. Okay, so, so get to know people. Take an interest. Find out what's going on in their lives. Find out what people are struggling with. Because newsflash, you are not the only person who's struggling right now. We're not over COVID, you know, and it's not just the mask thing. Like, in a thousand different ways, we've forgotten how to do society. We've forgotten how to care for one another. We've forgotten how to be civil with one another. We've, we've forgotten that our community needs are better met by people than by Netflix. You know, we, we go home and we, and we do our new subscription service and we, we go through it and we, we veg out on it. It's like we spend time with those characters and somehow, somehow we don't feel fulfilled at the end. So we start another episode because maybe that'll be better. That's not how a community works. Everyone around you is struggling. Man, but if you, don't, if you don't know them, if you don't know their name, if you don't have a little bit of a relationship, a little bit of trust, a little bit of rapport, then you're probably not going to be God's conduit to relieve a little bit of that loneliness and suffering and isolation and struggle that they're going through right now. Amen? So we've got to figure out how do we begin to take a genuine interest in one another. And again, not just the people who are in this room right now, maybe even more so the, the people who are a part of this church who aren't in the room right now. You know, again, maybe they're a part of the evening service and they got some community there, or you know, maybe they're doing the online thing and, and they love this church and they're tuning in, but they're lonely. And when you get in that situation, it's hard to be the person who makes the first step. It's it's hard to be the person who says, Well, I kind of feel forgotten, but I'm gonna call somebody else in the church and, and see if they still remember me and if they still care about me. That's so hard. How much easier as, as any of the, the regulars who showed up in the room today to say, you know, let, let, me, let, me, let me go home today and maybe write out a list, think of some people that I haven't seen in a while, and figure out how I can love them. No, no don't send them a text message say, hey, your church attendance stinks, I noticed. I miss you. How can I be praying for you? And I'll tell you, I've sent that out, and sometimes people get mad if you just ask, like, how can we be praying for you? Because they're like, oh, they haven't been in church in a while, and they're feeling bad about it. whatever. What do you do? Okay? But love some people, pray for some people, take initiative, reach out to somebody. Figure out how you can encourage them. Same thing, we're an incredibly transient church. You know, we've got a we got hundred people who've gone out from this church in the last, like, year and a half or whatever. Some of them have landed, and they are thriving, and it's going great. And some of them, they're, they're trying to build community across the country during a pandemic, and you can imagine it might not be going great. Reach out to them, love them, encourage them, take a genuine interest in the welfare of others. What does it look like to take a genuine interest in the broader community outside our doors? We could go a thousand different ways with that. Let's, let's, let's zoom in a little bit. What's it look like to take a genuine interest in the people in our community who are less resourced? You know, in the poor who don't have the same opportunities. Uh, some of you guys, you're part of the Village Project and some of the different initiatives that we've done over at Erickson Elementary on the east side of Ipsy. It's um, one of a number of schools in, in the Ipsy School District that um, they're under-resourced. You know, there's, there's just this reality that the, the economic and the educational resources of our community, they're not spread evenly, and most of them are, are like, pooled on the other side of US 23. Um, last week, I made, a, I made a little snippety remark, you know, about as, as, we're, as we're applying these principles, as we're looking to take an interest in others, like, what about what about the kids at Erickson Elementary that are coming to school without underwear, you know? Or well, things didn't go well that day, and they need another pair of underwear. There's a reason that your grandma used to get you socks and underwear for Christmas, and you're like, "What is wrong with you, lady?" You know. But there's a reason that grandma used to get you socks and underwear because if your grandma's old enough, she lived through a time in U.S. history where families did not have enough money to buy socks and underwear, and she realized just how important and how wonderful it is to have a clean pair of underwear and a dry pair of socks. And so to her, man, that is Christmas morning. We need to understand that there's a lot of people in our community, while they might not be excited, any more excited than you were to open up a pair of socks from Grandma, they need socks and underwear. So I mentioned that last week and one of our social workers it meant a lot to her. It's like, "Thank you. That was awesome." She's like telling her coworkers about it. Okay? It's not enough to mention that they need underwear. In the coming week, I'd actually like us to figure out what sizes do they need? And let's figure out how to meet that need, amen. That's just one need we could we could get into a little bit more personal examples we could get into a little bit less personal examples but the needs in our community are immense and they're not just going to be met by writing checks you know they're not just going to be met by a collection box so many of the needs in our community they are they are systematic they are they are deeply rooted they are complex And the only way we're going to be about a part of solving them is if we enter into the kind of genuine relationships that over the course of years, we uncover more deeply and more clearly what the depths of some of those needs are so that we can partner in them, okay? And it's not just needs on the poor side of town. I mean, there's there's needs in every part of town. You know, go the other way. Talking to one of our law students earlier. Okay, kind of like the other end of the spectrum. Which, which uh, prestigious firm are you going to get into and in all those things? Law students have needs. You know, they're, they're trying to cope with being absolutely on top of the stack and now they're on the wrong end of the curve and they're getting a C and, you know, their identity, whatever. We need to be in people's lives in such a way that we can understand their needs, in such a way that we care. That their needs aren't like a frustration to us. There's something that we write off. Well, you should have you figured it out. You know, your kids should be provided for. If you were responsible like I was, no. If you get into a relationship with people and you approach that relationship through a lens of the gospel, you're going to come humbly and you're going to see needs and, and maybe God is going to use you to begin to meet those needs. Amen? In this church, we, we, talk about taking, we talk about being intergenerational and diverse. We talk about taking a genuine interest in, in people who aren't just like you. You know, the, the older taking a genuine interest in the younger, the younger taking a genuine interest in the older. Cross-racial lines, demographic lines, socioeconomic lines, whatever. Um, what does it look like to take a genuine interest in the families in this church right now? Uh, by and large, the families are a little bit slower to come back from COVID because, you know, we're all a little bit extra sensitized about germs and that sort of thing. So if you got four, five, six, seven, eight in your household, the odds that one of them has the sniffles, they're like really high. You know, so how do we reintegrate into community? Um, part of it is, is what I said earlier, like get to know the kid's name, figure out their story. You know, if, if, if you're a teenager and you got Pokemon cards, let, let me tell you, you've got an in with the seven-year-olds in the church, you know? It doesn't have to be in good shape. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be your Pikachu or whatever you're proud of, you know? It can, it can be some tattered little thing, but man, build, build a relationship. Maybe it's, maybe it's jumping into Mosaic Kids. Um, we could use more volunteers in there, Okay? who simply love the kids and recognize that one week there might be 10 kids in the class and one week there might be two kids in the class and one week, you know, the the several families that constitute the class, they, they got together and played together on Tuesday and now all of the kids are sick and there's no one. And you showed up early to volunteer and nobody showed up. Okay. That's that's what it looks like to love these kids. You know, some of you are like, yeah, kids, kids are not my thing. Like, I'm, I'm kind of allergic to kids. You know, it doesn't... Okay, well... Maybe take a genuine interest in the Um I don't think the Dillenbecks are here today. That's rare. If you don't know who the Dillenbecks are, they're the whole family that tends to be lined up around that tech table around the back because the Dillenbecks are doers. So it doesn't matter if the schedule doesn't get filled. It's going to get done because Tom's going to show up early and, and Karen's going to show up too and they're going to pull Jacob into it and sometimes they're, they're going to their 10-year-old or so, Sam, into it too. And they're going to get that job done. But how much more beautiful if we're sharing that load, right? You know, so there's there's opportunities for all of us to serve, to care for one another, to, to, to actively just be a part of this church and blessing one another. When Paul says, I have no one else like him, He's literally saying, I have no one else of the same soul. I have no one else with that same passion to care for people and to build up the body of Christ. Paul says, Timothy gets it. And boy, do I cherish Timothy because Timothy gets it. And if you've ever led anything, then I think you might resonate with that a little bit. You know, whether, like, okay, I, I get to be the, the lead pastor, one of the pastors in this church. Some of you guys, you know, you're leading a missional community, you're leading a ministry, or you're, you're, you're leading something out in society. And leadership is often lonely. You know, like, you're the person who shows up early, you're the person who stays late, you're the person who feels the burden of this thing. And when somebody else comes alongside and begins to share that burden, you're like, yeah. This is exciting. That's, that's how Paul felt about Timothy. He felt this burden to care for the people who were entrusted to him. And when Timothy came along, he didn't feel so alone in that burden. We want to be the people who show up early and stay late. We want to, we want to be the people who see the need and meet the need. Amen? Amen? Hopefully we'll be the people who, who don't even spend all that much time counting the personal cost, but just say, somebody's gotta do it, and I think it's gonna be me. Think about how this works out in a household. You know, you, you you got a you got a young mom, and she figures out that the diaper needs to be changed. Nobody likes changing diapers. I've not met that person yet. Okay? But we do do we have a taker back there, maybe? But but there's but the young mom, well, there's going to be a little bit of hesitancy. There's going to be a little bit of procrastination. There's going to be a little bit, I can't do this again. Okay? Within a couple of minutes, they're going to go change that diaper because the diaper, it needs to be changed. And hopefully, the young dad is right in there with it and not being the, the cop-out guy who's like, oh, I didn't smell anything. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Okay? Okay? because when you're that cop out dad that's that's very demoralizing to the mom you know but but when mom and dad share that responsibility and when there's an aunt and an uncle and a cousin and a grandparents and some people in the church who come in and like that's gross i got this one just 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 sit in your comfy seat and chill for a minute mom's encouraged right and that's that's how it is in every area of our society. That's how it is in every area of our church. We want to be the people who share the load, who take a genuine interest. We want to be the, the, the people that, that, that Paul looks at and says, you got the same soul, You're, you get it, you are, you are in this with me. It's not just a curious interest, it's, it's a genuine interest. We want to be the people who invest relationally. We want to be the people who invest emotionally. Set ourselves up to get burned. We want to be the people who invest our time. We want to be the people who invest our money. Because that's what a genuine interest looks like. Verse 20, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests. Not for those of Jesus Christ. He says everyone, all of us, most people, ordinary people like us, left to our own devices, we tend to think about ourselves rather than loving our neighbors and loving them toward Jesus. But we have an opportunity to live differently. We have an opportunity to live joyfully. We have an opportunity to trust our God who has promised to meet our needs, to trust him to actually meet our needs, and free ourselves up to go meet somebody else's needs. Amen? That is the kingdom of God. That's how it's built. That's how it works. Most people look out for themselves, verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. He says, Timothy is exceptional, but Timothy became exceptional over time. He had a role model who took him to work. And again, like the picture that he paints is, is, is little four-year-old Jimmy um, go, going to work with, with James Sr. Okay? And, and at first, he's no help at all. You know, he's, he's just toddling around. You know, dad says, go get the hammer. And he comes back with a screwdriver. He can't contribute at all. But as a son with the father... He's got a role model. He's got training. There's, there's patient instruction. And over time, he becomes like daddy. That's the process in the home. That's the process in the kingdom of God, that we have a God and Father who is, who is working in this world. And it's bring your child to work day. He wants to invite us into the work, and that, and that happens on a supernatural level with God. That happens on a very natural level with us as we mentor one another, as we draw others in, as we set an example for others. Timothy had an example and that is how, that is how he became exceptional by following Paul's example as, as Paul followed the example of Christ. Which begs the question, who are you setting an example for? And what kind of example are you setting when your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, the other people sharing this space with you, when they follow your example, are they going to become more like Jesus? And again, that's, that's not to be a guilt-inducing question because we started off with the reality that the gap between the high call of God and your actual life, it is high. And the gap between the, the high call of God and my actual life, it is vast but we have a God who is working in us to close that gap and who is inviting us into that process and that process begins as we look outside a little bit and take a genuine interest in the lives of those around us. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. The work of the gospel It's the work of discipleship, but it's also the work of love. It's the work of grace. It's the work of humility. It's the work of bringing ourselves low so that we can serve the needs of those around us, so that we can set an example for others in doing the same. So that, like Timothy, our lives can be exceptional. Amen? I don't know about you, but middle-aged me? I want to spend the rest of my life empowered by the Spirit, setting an example for other people, in hope that there's going to be a thousand more people over the next 40 years that become exceptional because they're following my example. Some of you guys are a lot younger than me. Scott's shaking his head. (laughs) But some of you are younger than me. Man, Remy, Luke, Max, you got a long ramp up. You follow Christ. There There is an opportunity for many people to follow your example of following Christ. Taking a genuine interest and having an incredible impact in this world. Doesn't that sound like more fun than the goofy things that we chase after, hoping that they'll satisfy? Paul looks at Timothy and says, I have no one else like him. My prayer for us is that when I get together with other pastors who are complaining about how they've only got one Timothy, I don't want to brag or something, but but I want it in my heart. No, we we got a church full of people like that. Because we're trusting God and, and, and we're leaning into our faith in him. And we're going out and we're genuinely trying to be like him. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be people who do trust you, who do hope in you, who, who set aside all the goofy, silly hopes that we have. God, even, even yet today, as we have to-do lists and things to run to and and our own concerns, I pray that we would be the people who are taking an increasingly genuine interest in the lives of other people in this room. Lord, for those of us who feel socially clumsy and don't understand what that would look like, I I, I pray that you would empower us and that you would help us to trust in your grace that we we just wouldn't be hung up on such things. Lord, help us to love well in your name. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church that's known for loving well in your name. Not so that people can think much of us, but so that people can genuinely see you through us. Amen.